0: Good to be with you guys. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. Over the last month or so, we've tried to summarize God's big story. That we all find ourselves wrapped up in one way or another. And like any good story, God's story has chapters, if you will. So we kind of can know where we can find ourselves in that story. Chapter 1 is about God's creation. The story begins with a creator. Who made each of us to enjoy the whole world and enjoy a forever relationship with him. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. However, all mankind has fallen. Each of us has turned his own way, doing his own thing. And that is chapter two of God's story, and that's man's fall and all that results from it. And along the way, we discover that despite our best efforts at self-improvement, we can't change those Those really deep down flaws that separate us from a holy and perfect God, despite our best efforts. But Jesus comes and reveals to us that God wants to be our father anyhow. That he actually waits for us day after day to come to him. And you don't have to clean yourself up to come to him. You don't have to start being a good person to come to him. You just got to come to him. He receives any who would come to him. And what he does is he, he transfers Jesus' perfect life and he credits it to you, like a credit to a bank account. And that is chapter 3 of God's story, this free gift of salvation that Jesus offers. And yet even as the Father fully accepts those who trust Jesus, we still live in a world full of pain and full of suffering. And he has us in this world because he aims to refine our love for him. That we won't just love the Father for the things and the blessings He can give us, but we'll love Him for Him, for His sake. Like any relationship where we just want to please someone until the day when Jesus returns. And on that day, He will put every wrong to right and make even the good things even righter. And that's chapter 4 of God's story, the final chapter of God's story. And our lives mirror this story. We kind of grow up, don't we? We experience the goodness and the wonder of creation no matter where you grew up, inner city, suburbs, a rural setting. You experience this wonder at the goodness of creation and then life really hits you at some point. And you you experience your own shortcomings and you experience pain. And we don't exactly know what to do with it, but a lot of it is self-inflicted. So we try to make up for our pain and shortcomings with working hard to be better until we arrive at the point where we recognize we can never live up to perfection. But even as we recognize we can't live up to this perfect standard, we have opportunity to turn to one who has, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I could not. And He died the death we deserved to give us life forever. And so those of us who have turned to Jesus, keep on living to tell others about this grand story, this story of redemption, this story of hope. And we do that. We tell that story until he returns. But what happens to those who die before he returns? What happens after we die? And I'm asking this question, brothers and sisters, because we have a Sunrise family member who this past week um, very suddenly passed away. Her name is Karen Dorn, and many of you knew her. Um, and for those of you who didn't, she was 36 years old. Uh, She's survived by her two young children, Jacob and Caitlin. And her husband, Will. Karen and Will sat to my left over here right on the aisle, close to the stage, most every week. Karen, she trusted her life not to... Charitable activity nor to being a good mom, good wife, a good sister, good daughter, a good friend. Though she certainly was those things, she just recognized she couldn't do those things perfectly. And so she trusted Jesus, the only perfect man who ever lived, who's also God. So because she trusted Jesus, where is she then? And just taking that a step further, where will I go? Where will you go after you die? And it's right to ask that question. Because when someone dies, there's both a time for mourning and a time for truth. And we are mourning now, and we will continue to mourn together. Um, This Friday in particular. We're an opportunity to do together, all of us as a body of Christ, friends and family, come together to mourn Karen's passing this Friday, 4.30, at First Baptist Church. First Baptist has been gracious enough to, to loan us their facility. When someone close to us dies, somewhere in our sequence of responses is wondering to ourselves, and sometimes out loud, what lies beyond death's door for someone we love so much and even for ourselves. At such a time, it's important to have someone tell us what's true. When Jesus was alive, two local news stories dominated the talk around where he was living in Galilee. Both of them were tragedies. One was a mass murder. The other was a building that fell on top of 18 people and killed them. And Jesus, though though full of compassion as we know him to be, a man who, who wept at tragedy, also didn't waste time telling the truth. He looked at those who were still alive and he says, unless you repent, you likewise will perish. In other words, what that means is unless you turn from your way of living, unless you turn from your way of thinking and from what you trust and from what you put your hope in, if you don't turn from that to me, you likewise will perish. And Jesus loved them enough to tell them that truth. So with with God's help, I want to get two things done this morning. For the cause of truth. Number one, I want to go through what the Bible says are the stages of events after we die. And number two, explain why a Christian's final destiny is so uniquely good. Okay, so first we want to talk about this morning, the stages of events after death. And this might be hard to talk through, hard to get through, and and, and ladies and gentlemen, friends, it's not... Super simple, either. But there are four stages of events after death. Stage number one: There's an initial judgment after death. Hebrews 9:27. That man is says man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. So man dies, and it's very, that, this part's very simple. He faces judgment. The good news is, as Romans 8:1 points out, that there is no condemnation there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've trusted Jesus and his perfect record versus your own pretty good record, your own kind of shabby record, there will be no condemnation for you at the judgment. None at all. Stage number two. There's a conscious, disembodied deliverance of each person. Conscious, it means you're aware you're also not with your body, deliverance of each person to either heaven or to hell. So in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus speaks of Lazarus being taken to heaven immediately to be in all the blessings and all the glory of heaven. But the rich man, when he dies because he did not heed God's word, like the word I'm preaching to you now, he immediately enters into great torment, separated from the blessings of God. Similarly, Jesus tells a believing thief, dying next to him on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, there's an immediate going of a person, even though that person is no longer with their body, to be in the presence of Jesus if they trusted him, or to be in the presence of torment. So death separates the body and the spirit, but it doesn't change who we are. It doesn't ruin us. We're still the same person in a sense. So while we're still living, the Apostle Paul says that he would rather be at home with the Lord and away from the body. He says, I'd rather be away from the body, away from this, but at home with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5:8. So that means our spirit goes up. if you have trusted Jesus to be with him. Our body remains below. And that can, I, I, I just want to recognize this, that can actually sound kind of creepy. I mean, this floating existence, this floating up, sounds like something out of the 1980s movie Ghost, right, starring Demi Moore, Patrick Swayze, Be Goldberg. There's just this sort of spiritual thing that happens, and no one knows how quite to describe it or depict it, but some of us are thinking that is just kind of weird. But that is how many people, even most people, think about the Christian's final destination in heaven. This idea that floating spirits end up in heaven all in our own personal cloud, playing the harpsichord all day long, All right, while the interior decorating is all like marble and pearl and translucent stuff. And that's people's idea of our final destination as Christians. And to be honest, Paul actually says, you know what, this spiritual existence, this disembodied existence with Jesus is far better than what we've got going on here. Far better. But it's not the best. It's not a Christian's ultimate hope. And that's what I want us to see this morning, a Christian's ultimate hope. If you have a Bible, turn, if you would, to Second Corinthians 5. We're going to start in verse 1. You can grab a Bible in these chair pockets in front of you or along these aisles, middle aisles, into these aisles, or you can hail one. It's also going to be up on the screen. Second Corinthians 5, starting in verse 1. For we know, Paul says this, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed we have a building from god a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens for in this tent we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling so paul compares our current bodies to a tent which is really kind of the perfect metaphor because if you're going to live outside in the elements you do at least want a tent but you don't want a tent forever right You don't want to have on a tent forever. No one wants to live in a tent for very long because you wake up feeling like you have rheumatoid arthritis, having slept on roots all night, right? And you don't want that. You smell when you wake up of a mixture of campfire and your own sweat from being way too hot, and no cup of coffee can awake you from the grogginess of only getting two real hours of sleep. And that is a great picture of the life we live now. It is, it is painful, it is imperfect, it is groggy, we can't see things clearly, we even suffer. So continuing here in verse 3 and 4. So we put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan. There's that idea again, this camping tent idea. We groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So Paul here talks about getting further clothed, putting on our heavenly dwelling, this new building from God. And that's a Christian's ultimate hope, which I'm going to talk about here in a moment. But he also talks about being unclothed, even naked. And what Paul's trying to say is that it's better to die and for your spirit to be with Jesus when there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no sin anymore. But that's still incomplete because there's no body. So it's better than here but not as good as our ultimate hope. My children have recently heard about VR headsets. You know what these are? Virtual reality headsets. Ocular, Samsung, I guess a lot of people make these things. And they think these headsets are the best thing ever, right? It's going to revolutionize their lives. And the reason I think it's so great is that it's 3D immersion into, into worldwide experiences and sound, perfect images, HD color except for one thing and that is you cannot touch. You cannot touch. And this is a little bit not a little bit like being with Jesus after death. You experience heaven. You get to be with Jesus. You get to see him. You get to hear him and all his glory but there's still no touch. There's still no touch. And so we get stage three after death. Jesus returns to raise everybody from the grave for a final judgment. Literally every physical body comes out from the grave for a final judgment. Jesus puts it this way in John 5. Do not marvel at this, he says, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and they will come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. But anyone who's trusted his life to Jesus need not fear. Because you've put trust not in your own goodness, but in the goodness of Jesus. John five twenty four says, truly I tell you, whoever hears my word, Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes that him who sent me is giving eternal life, that person does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And so you might say, well, wait a minute, Ryan, you said all people come into judgment. But the Bible doesn't mean that kind of judgment for a Christian. It just means the judgment of what we call commendation versus condemnation. It's a, it's a judgment like an award. I wasn't getting too complicated. It's like an award ceremony. On the last day, Jesus will reward those who have responded to his salvation with love, with compassion, who have spent their lives bearing fruit, who have spent their lives telling others about Jesus and living for him and being kind to the least of these. There will be a kind of award ceremony. I don't know what that's going to look like most improved, fruits of the spirit, whatever it might be. So that's stage three. Jesus is going to return to raise everybody from the grave for a final judgment. A Christian does not need to fear that. Stage four, all persons enter their final destination. For those who refuse Jesus and trust in self, there will be an eternal punishment of body and spirit. For those who refuse to trust in self and their own record of right doing, and instead trust Jesus, There will be eternal life with a glorified body on a renewed and glorious earth. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That's our ultimate hope. Philippians 3, 20-21, Paul puts it this way. Our citizenship is in heaven. From heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, incorruptible, no sin, no pain, no death. Able to experience all of life, including touching and feeling as well. And it's going to happen on a new earth. This resurrection is going to be a new earth. Revelation eleven fifteen says the seventh angel blew his trumpet. There was loud voices in heaven, and they said this: the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. That means there's not two separate kingdoms. Ultimately, there's going to be one kingdom. This kingdom of earth will transition and become the kingdom of God when Jesus returns and rights every wrong on this earth. So often we think about here and there, but it's just going to be here. Revelation 21 confirms this. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, is going to come down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So it's going to be this beautiful coming of this beautiful city down to earth, Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. God is coming back down here for eternity. That means that Christians, we can summarize this, we have a perfected physical destiny. Not only our new bodies, but this renewed earth, a good as new earth. And that is such very good news. Now, I recognize, guys, these stages are not super simple. And I don't know all the reasons why God does it this way, but he does. There's an initial judgment. Your spirit goes in heaven to be with Jesus. If You've trusted him. Then there's a final judgment. And what I really want us to see is two things, that a Christian's destiny gets progressively better, first of all. It gets progressively better. It goes from getting to know the Lord here in this life to when we die, getting to be with Jesus face-to-face in spiritual form, yes, in soul form. And it gets, but it gets even better than that. Your physical body is raised and glorified. This earth on which you now live is renewed and perfected. That's, that's the, the destiny that every Christian has. And I want so desperately for you to have as well. Number two thing I want you to see, I want to show you why this destiny is so uniquely good. So let's talk about that. Why a perfected physical destiny is uniquely good. And perhaps the most important reason this is so uniquely good is there's this perfect balance with the Christian understanding of the afterlife, perfect balance of the spiritual and physical, now look, we're, we're always talking about being balanced people, aren't we? Usually, it's this this casual response to someone who's talking about diet and exercise, or they're talking about relationships, or they're talking about work and rest. It could be just about anything, and we might respond, "Well, it, it's a balance, isn't it?" That's one of our responses we give to people. It's a balance, isn't it? And yet, no one really stays balanced. Doing so requires that you be almost neurotically self-focused in your life. Like, I'm only thinking about me. I'm only thinking about my balance. Or you have OCD. And God bless you if you do. There's going to be a new earth coming where you're going to be rid of that. All right? Most religions are no different from this. They're completely imbalanced when it comes to the afterlife. So, for example, Buddhism teaches nirvana as a state so the afterlife, nirvana, is a state that's totally detached from the world. And the goal in Buddhism is to come completely detached from the physical self. And the only, only thing that remains is a spiritual self. That's the afterlife. It's totally on the extreme of imbalance, all spiritual. Islam teaches a bodily resurrection, but there's little continuity between this life and the next life. God will totally remake bodies in Islam and, and totally remake heaven according to that teaching but it's going to be totally unlike what we experience on earth. Virgin companions being the most famous example of that. That that doesn't happen. Why is there this imbalance? Well, I think people tend to view this life in only two categories. Let me explain what I mean. There are some people who have experienced only or primarily just bad in this life. Tragedy, heartache, injustice. Sadness, loneliness. And such people, that might be you, long to flee this body and this world. And so religions of every sort offer a kind of spiritual destiny, a spiritual hope to look forward to when you leave this body and you leave this world. And then the other way of thinking, the other extreme of thinking, is people who have experienced almost entirely good in this life. Those are usually going to be people with six-figure salaries, right? Right? with a good upbringing, probably went to private school, you had squash and tennis lessons growing up, those sorts of things, right? Who only experienced, seems like, good. Such people long for this body and this world to just continue on as it is, right? Because work is satisfying, Friday nights are fun, Everyone, all of your friends are beautiful and tan. And such people think, this is it. People call them naturalists. So you have these two extremes: either nothing is good, I want to flee this life completely, or everything is good, and this is all there is, it may forever continue. But most of us lie somewhere in between. To be honest, that's me too. I, I love this world. Katie and I love our bright yellow house, just 60 second walk from Spots Beach. I enjoy waking up Saturdays at 6:45 to play tennis with Mason. I'm relishing getting back on the basketball court this Wednesday with church friends to play some hoop with them. I dig getting to paddle towards a sunset. My mouth starts to water even thinking about a medium rare porterhouse steak and, and, and basically any kind of bacon as well. That happens for me. I love laughing. I love to laugh, especially when my youngest son tells actually pretty funny jokes. And then tries to milk them, telling them to anyone who will listen. I love having a front row seat, getting to watch God take broken things and restore them good as new, broken people and restore them good as new. And yet I want to be done with this world. I hate that my friend Will feels nothing but the sting of death right now. His kids as well. His family. I I hurt for the people of Haiti who endure disaster after disaster, it seems to come at them again and again. I'm frustrated at the way I, I manage to continue to hurt Katie's feelings, often in the same way, over and over again. I'm embarrassed by how quickly I rely on myself without turning to God in prayer. I'm frustrated even at little things, like every time I walk on my back porch and another board seems to be rotting. I'm sad that so many people feel alone. The promise The physical, perfected destiny is that God will preserve and perfect the best of all beauty while everything else will burn. And that's what we want, right? We get a sense that we love this world and yet we want to be done with this world. And so we have a promise in Jesus Christ of a perfected physical future. His spirit will infuse all physical beauty with glory to the point where it is perfected while burning away all that is bad and hurtful and harmful. This means a number of things. has significant implications for us. It means that, first of all, what we do matters for later. This world does matter. And how you live your life and what you create and what you produce, it matters. Do you remember chapter 1 of God's story, those of you who are here? It's all about Genesis and the garden. And God commands people to collaborate with what he's created to make something different, to make something that will benefit mankind and glorify God. So when Jesus returns, he's not going to bring his giant eraser with him just to wipe out everything and return to a garden. In fact, he's bringing a city, which is interesting, right? Wouldn't going back to a garden sound a lot better in some ways, right? A peaceful, rustic, natural, simple garden life. So why does he come back with a city? The difference between a garden and a city is culture. The result of having collaborated with God, collaborated with his creation and what he has made. We're not exactly told what this looks like, what gets preserved and perfected and what burns. In his book, Becoming Worldly Saints, Michael Whitmer suggests that what will survive is this collaborative know-how, the knowledge of how to do things, whether it's hairstyling, or making silicon chips for computers. A particular tree or house may not survive, but our ability to grow healthy trees and sturdy homes may. Listen to what the Bible says the inhabitants of this new earth, what they're going to experience. Isaiah 65, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. That means they work. They shall not build and another person inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For the days of a tree shall the days of my people be my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands there's a continuity between what we do in this life and what we do in the next life they're going to long we're going to long enjoy the work of our hands so let's get ready to do it heaven will not be boring as some imagine it singing the same tune over and over again on your harp we'll create and produce but without Frustration and that perfect rest. If there's, there's a restfulness and a peace we'll find in producing. As I mentioned last week, just like Michelangelo will do something better. Johann you know, Sebastian Bach will do something better. You will produce something better. There's other implications too with this physical, perfected future that we have. We don't lose who we are, but we become our very best selves. And this is important because when people think of this destiny, they think of heaven They think that you lose your personality, that you become like a Stepford wife or something like that. You're going to lose what makes you, you. I read an interview a couple years ago with Stephen King, you know the author Stephen King? That was in Rolling Stone magazine. And they asked him if he wants to go to heaven someday. And he said, no, I do not want to lose who I am and listen to harps. I want to stay myself and listen to Jerry Lee Lewis. Some of that really predates a lot of you guys who Jerry Lee Lewis is, that's okay. But that's the thing, in this future hope, you're still you. Even with your, you still have all your musical preferences even, just perfected, especially country music. That has a long way to go to perfection. So that will be very much refined. Sorry. Listen to how the Bible describes worship services in the age to come. Because I want to hammer home this idea that you don't become this radically new person. You become a perfected person. Listen to this, Revelation 5. As they sang a new song, they said, this is in heaven, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. This is people singing to Jesus. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Listen to this. From every tribe and language, and people, and nation. You have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Again, our final destination is earth, but what I want us to pay attention to is every tribe, every language, every people, every nation, you get to keep your native language. You get to keep your national, your ethnic identity, because it's who you are, and God loves that. He's going to keep that forever. It also means that you're going to be able to touch to taste to feel just as Jesus when resurrected from the dead both tasted fish with his disciples and embraced Mary. Right? He did those things and we're going to be just like him, just like his body. Another implication for this perfected physical destiny we have is that those who turn, who never turn, I should say, those who never turn from wickedness will receive a bodily judgment. Those who've only lived to please themselves. Those who appear perfect on the outside, but they're judgmental and self-righteous on the inside. Those who've perverted what, what is good and right for their own doing and for their own preferences. Those who spend their days hurting other people. They don't get to escape. They don't get to escape into an ethereal, spiritual, unfeeling sort of negativity or nothingness, where nothing really happens to them, but at the last judgment, they will re-inhabit their bodies. Remember, their bodies will be raised to, that means Hitler, that means Pol Pot, that means Stalin, that means Bin Laden. All of them, spiritually and physically punished which is immensely practical for us as Christians because we can live this life radically loving our enemies because we trust there's a judgment to come. We're not super spiritual. We're not super special in and of ourselves. We know there's a need for judgment. We want to do that judgment ourselves, but we know there's going to be a bodily and physical judgment ahead. God is going to take care of that so we can love people now, love people who hate us, love people who dislike us, love people who annoy us. So many implications of this perfected physical destiny that a Christian has. And for those of us who are Christians, perfected physical destiny relies entirely, entirely on the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now I've talked in the past many times about how The resurrection of Jesus is probably the most defensible and rational in many ways of all Christian miracles. There was an empty tomb. The the, the documented paying off of the Roman soldiers guarding it. The simple fishermen, now apostles, who would never have died for a lie. The appearing of Jesus to over 500 persons. The rapid and inexplicable otherwise growth of the early church. All of this points to the fact that there was an empty tomb, that Jesus physically rose from dead. Jesus' friend Martha, she lost her brother. She just lost her brother and she didn't know what to do. You can kind of tell from what we read about in the Bible, she had started to, to work through the natural stages of grief, denial, anger, and now bargaining. She says in effect to Jesus, Jesus if only you had been there, this could have been different. Maybe you can still make this different. And Jesus says to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. She says, I know. I know he's going to rise again at the resurrection on the last day. Jesus interrupts her and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall again live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. God, we come here this morning as a church family, as those who grieve. But as your word says, we don't grieve as those with no hope. We have, we have a very sure hope beyond death's door, for our loved one, one of our friends, one of our brothers and sisters, spouse, a mom, she has something far better. And there's still something far better ahead. An ultimate hope. A perfected physical existence. Where we get to enjoy all the gifts given in this world, and yet they're all perfected. We get to enjoy all the people who have also trusted you, that we've enjoyed and befriended in this world and yet perfected. We get to a new body, incorruptible, no longer subject to decay and death, but perfect, able to touch, able to feel. That is the hope we have in Jesus Christ. I Pray for my friends here who don't yet know that hope, that they would put their hope in you, Jesus for those of us who do, that we'd spend our days spreading news of this great hope ahead. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.